If you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll get you a Bible. Otherwise, do me a favor and uh, turn with me and uh, open up to 2 Peter. We're going to go uh, 1 through 11, verses 1 through 11 of 2 Peter today. So, um, there's that. Hey, uh, we're doing a diaper drive. Look what's down here. Uh, Pampers, cruisers are down here. All sizes. Uh, We've teamed up with a ministry uh, that ministers to the refugees here in the uh, right right near us, uh, four or five miles up the road here, Route 51, and we're doing a diaper drive and also some other things. And I'm going to have Jared and Jess raise their hand in the back. Jared and Jess back there, uh, they're going to be our liaison with this ministry that ministers to the refugees. And uh, one of the things we're doing is a diaper drive. So if you have, can bring diapers, uh, that'd be great. We have a whole bunch right now, but we're going to keep supplying. So, uh, and if you need more information about that, talk to Jared or Jess. Uh, they'll get you all squared away with that. What a, what a way, listen to this, to bless and share with the world. And I'm talking the world, everybody from the world. They're from all the countries all around the world, and it's five miles from our house. Now, a lot of these people will go back to their home countries, and let's send them back with the gospel of Jesus Christ, amen? So, uh, okay, and love them and be uh, a support to them. So uh, we're going to do that. Uh, also, on uh, July 12th, just so you know, we're going to have baptisms uh, coming up at Rob and Parody's Pool in Jefferson Hills at, uh, it actually is at 3.30. Uh, they, they work till 2.30. They have a little thing over here called a diner that they attend to, uh, a restaurant. Uh, so uh, we're going to go after that. So even if you want to stay here and eat and then head on up, uh, we're going to head up at 3.30 on July 12th. Hmm? Yeah, I know. <laughs> Every, Steve, Steve. You're, uh, like 17 people now have told me in the next fi- last five minutes that it was Steve's birthday just this Friday. And uh, I've even had uh, texts off of Facebook from Massachusetts telling me to sing <laughs> to Steve. So uh, Steve's birthday, anybody else's birthday in here? Uh, wow, that's strange. Coming up, nothing close. Okay. Well, Steve, here it is for you. Ready? Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Steve, happy birthday to you. There you go. Massachusetts, we're all square, okay? We're all square. Okay, so we're going to take a look at the second epistle of uh, the Apostle Peter today and uh, begin in that. So go to 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. And um, uh, now here's what this book is about. This book is about false teachers, wrong doctrine, heresy, apostasy, following and listening and growing in doctrine that's uh, unhealthy for you. And Peter is very passionate about it. 
You remember in the first epistle, he wrote to Christians under the threat of persecution. Here he writes to Christians to be leery of and to be, be and, you know, cautious of false teachers and false, false doctrines. So, I got to tell you, I don't know everybody's theological background in here, but it might be uncomfortable here over the next couple months, but that's good. Isn't uncomfortable good and a growing thing, right? Well, what's fantastic is amazing. God never tells you to be, how to behave <laughs> until he tells you what he's done. Always. You go through the scriptures. He sets out for us through the writers by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit what God has done through us through his son Jesus Christ and the indwelling spirit. And then... He tells us and shows us what a life that abides does. We don't believe that works saves anyone. The Bible's clear about that. And yet, the Bible says that you're saved unto good works. And these aren't manufactured works. These are works that spring and flow and come from what's called the new, new nature or the new creation, a new life in Christ. And so tonight or today, as we go through 1 through 11, you might say to yourself, well, what is the pastor talking about? This has nothing to do with false doctrine. Well, that's because you just haven't, we haven't read together the rest of the letter. What he does here is he sets forth who we are in Christ, how important and central Christ is, and what our lives should look like as a result of following the plan or the gospel, the plan of salvation that God set up and has set up and instituted through his son Jesus. What a real, dynamic, vibrant, authentic Christian life should look like. I have to say, folks, in America, there is some truth to the fact that many of us believe in easy believism. Easy believism. Say a prayer on the back of a card. Say a prayer on the back of a magazine. You're in. Relax. That's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible says the proof of a life that's saved is a fruitful, abundant, not idle. I know that's not the right way of saying it, but you're going to realize later why I said it that way. Not idle life, active, engaged. Your life, in other words, will be a fruitful, not a barren life. Now think about that. Paul says, examine yourself to make sure you're in the faith. Peter's going to say something very or similar right here to make your call and election sure. Okay? So do me a favor. I'll do you the same favor. I'll participate with you. Come at this with an open mind. 
Now, don't just say to yourself, oh, I've been in the church 30, 40 years. Say to yourself, am I growing in these places? Is my life fruitful as Peter has talked about? And let's do it together and exhort one another and encourage one another in these things. How about it, right? Okay, do me a favor. Turn there to the first verse. I'm going to read through chapter 11, or chapter, (laughs) verse 11, not chapter 11, and um, then we'll pray. Simon Peter, pretty pretty, uh, direct, we know who's writing this, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You see, we jump up and down when our sports teams win something. When you read that, folks, there ought to be a jumping up and down of the soul. So his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Where do I turn? Where do I run? I don't know what to do. Read that. Everything for life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Well, how do I get it? How do I get it? Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. <laughs> oh, okay. Ho-hum. <laughs> that, that might be one of the most staggering little verses of the entire Bible right there. You see, when I was growing up, I thought Christianity was read all the rules and be a good little boy. That's what I thought it was. Look at this. What is a Christian? They're those who partake of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world throughout lust. Verse 5, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hear the words of the Lord. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we need help. We need help to understand these things and to understand the implications of how magnificent and great you are. And then, Lord, who we are in you and how that lives out in a life that wants to live for you. So, Lord, help us today. 
by your spirit to direct us in these things and then help us tomorrow when we go out and live in a hurting and dying world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, I, you know what? One thing I forgot to announce. Listen, if you, if you want to, uh, you know, you, maybe your kids didn't come or you know somebody uh, who's a child, we, we have Sunday school bags downstairs for those who uh, maybe didn't come or couldn't come or whatever. And if you want to take some Sunday school bags after church, they're downstairs in the fellowship hall. Uh, Lexi and her team uh, put those together, and maybe Mike too. I, I don't know who actually did, but I think Lexi. Uh, but, uh, uh, so grab those and take advantage of those and uh, do those with your children or your friends' children or whoever, grandchildren. Okay, Second Peter... Chapter 1. Notice first off that Simon Peter used his Hebrew name. Do you see that? He used Simon as well as Peter. Uh, You know, the Lord changed his name. You know that. We've been going through that. The Lord changed his name from Simon to Peter, calling him a rock, a small rock or rock, from shifting sand to stability. And yet, we know from the life of Peter that he was impetuous, he, he, was, he was emotional, he was, had, as I like to say, had foot-in-mouth disease, like I do a lot. And he, he, he uh, ran towards things before planning it out, you know. He would think of something and he would go do it, and sometimes it didn't uh, end so well, right? And one time, I don't know if you recall this, but he got in a little bit of a spat, uh, with Paul and others because he, uh, you know, uh, shrank back into his uh, Jewish ways to the point where he was excluding Gentile folks. Do you remember this? Do you remember this? He was a Hebrew, but he did that. He, among a number of different things that he did, just like us. That's why Peter's uh, writings are so fascinating. Who here never makes mistakes? Wow, so many hands up. No, no hands up. We all make mistakes. We say things we wish we wouldn't have said. We do things we wish we wouldn't have done, etc., etc. And so Peter is fascinating. And here, do you notice? He writes his Hebrew name with his Greek name, which is kind of saying something like, I've learned my lesson. The gospel that I'm about ready to write to you is for everybody. It doesn't matter what color somebody is, where they come from socioeconomically, what, kind, what part of the tracks they come from, what kind of hobbies they like to have that might be different than you. It doesn't matter if we look different from each other. You see, we all are confronted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ makes men, women, boys and girls across the spectrum of all that we are here in the world come face to face with one fact. We're sinners. There's none righteous, the Bible tells us, no, not one. And Simon Peter here, interesting, not Peter, seems to be saying as he started to learn his lesson about excluding people. You see it? excluding people that are different from him. He begins to learn his lesson, and he says, you know, right here before I'm about ready to die, because I forgot to tell you that, he's about ready to die, and he's going to die a horrific death. 
By the way, Jesus predicted his death. You could go read it in the Gospels and told him he was going to die a horrific death. And now he's writing his farewell letter and he's about ready to die. And he writes it and he says, hey, Simon Peter. He calls himself Simon Peter. It's as if he's saying, Lord, all this time I'm learning the lesson. The gospel of Jesus Christ comes to every man, every woman, Every boy, every girl, regardless of what they look like or think or what side of the tracks they've grown up on, Simon, Peter, and then he chooses right before he's ready to die to call himself a bondservant first. I would have called myself an apostle. I personally would have just said, hey, I want you folks to know, and he kind of does this. He does say he's an apostle. He wants you to know he is one who knew Jesus reclined with Jesus, ate with Jesus, was there with Jesus, denied Jesus, was restored by Jesus, etc. He wants you to know he's an apostle, but before he wants you to know he's an apostle, he wants you to know he's a bondservant, which is the word in the Greek, doulos, which is a word that means slave, which is which what he is saying is men and women, boys and girls who are confronted with the gospel, the person and work of Jesus Christ. Those people, in Timothy it says it's not what you believe, it's in whom you believe. I want you to know that I'm a bondservant first. A slave. I've given up my whole life for the life of Jesus Christ. Sometimes, even, or many people say, you know, because salvation is a free gift from God. You can't deny that. It's in the Scriptures and Ephesians. But of course, to our Lord, it was ultimately sacrificial. I mean, he was the ultimate in sacrifice and the ultimate giving up of life. And sometimes we say to people, well, all you need to do is believe and receive. And yes, you do need to believe and receive. But listen, I just have to say it to you. The gospel of Jesus Christ requires from you everything. You're, you're, You're no longer your own. You belong to the master. You're a bondservant. You're a willing slave. You've come to him and said, I've given up my life for yours. Whatever you say, Lord, wherever you call me, whatever you have for me, that's what I want to do. Why? We'll find out in a minute. Because to know you is more precious than anything in the world. So Simon Peter here says he's a bondservant first. And then says he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. That gives him credence and authority. But apostles and followers of Christ, followers of Christ, look at this. You're you're servants. You're you're ones who would go out, out to the world, to an unbelieving world like Jesus did. And get on bended knee and wash the feet of people who are dirty. That's us. Simon Peter, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Yes, we're followers, but we're servants and slaves. We're slaves to those. He, who, look who he's writing to. He's writing to those who have obtained, catch it, three words, like 
precious faith. So we're dealing with faith here. What's faith? Well, we talked about that over the last several months. It's trusting in Jesus. How, how better could I say this? For everything. First of all, for your salvation. Faith in salvation. For salvation. What's salvation? Saving us. Saving us from a life or an eternal life separated from God. We trust in the Lord. We trust in him first and foremost for our salvation. Turn over with me to a little verse in Ephesians. Chapter 1. Uh, Verse 7. These are the giants of the faith, folks, right here. In him we have redemption through, how, how? Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. It's, It's like every sentence is packed full, and then he puts them all together, and it's just so incredible. So we have redemption. You've been bought back. And redeeming, as my kids, because I, I drill this into my children, they, they laugh. it's a running joke at my house. We know, we know, we know, coupons. When is a coupon good? Not when it's sitting on the counter. When you use it. You've been bought back for the use that God's intended to use you for all along. And you've been bought back through his blood, by the blood, and your sins have been forgiven. The chief need of men and women, your sins have been forgiven, and that allows you to be reconciled back to the Father. That's faith. We've trusted in the blood. We've trusted in everything that he's done at the cross and his resurrection for our life and everything. He's our all in all. That's faith. It's not a Sunday thing that you check off of the list and you devote 10.30 to 12 on a Sunday to the Lord and then you, you know, run out of here to watch football or something. This is it. This is our life. He's our life. We would do anything for him. We're bondservants. We can come and worship the Lord and sing out together as he's called us to be in community. See, that's faith. It's our whole life. It's not just a creed that we say, although the creeds are good. It's it's a life that depends upon him, faith. And it's like faith. It's the same faith. Do you understand that you're trusting in the same thing that Peter did? Get it? You get what I'm saying? He was there. He touched the Lord. He saw the Lord. He was at the Mount of Transfiguration. He failed the Lord. He was restored by the Lord. He loved the Lord, and the Lord loved him, and he was there with him, and he talked with him, and you're reading his words right now, and you have the same faith that Peter did in the sense that you're trusting in the same thing, which is not really a thing. It's a person. You get it? Isn't that beautiful? You have like faith. Oh, but as Peter is wont to do, it's not just like faith. It's like precious faith. What is precious? It's something that's valuable. It's something that's precious is when there's nothing else like it. Nothing else like it. You ever had like, you know, a memento from a loved one? 
that's gone on, you know, died. If you have a memento, it might be something raggedy or something in your house, but to you, why? It's precious. Why? Because there's nothing else like it, nor will there ever be anything like it. It's unique, and it means something to you. It's precious to you and valuable. Isn't that beautiful? So he's saying to those who have obtained like precious faith. It's so precious. The blood of Jesus. Precious. His willingness to endure the cross for the joy that was set before him, and that joy is you folks, precious. The spikes through his hands and his feet and the lashes and the spear in the side, and he was innocent, and he died. by He shed his blood, and he rose again to new life, and now you can share in that life. Precious. You, you see? See, here's what I think Americans treat the gospel of Jesus like a lot. Yesterday's news. It's not good news to us anymore. It's yesterday's news. We come in, we yawn, we go to our churches, we say hi to Fred, and off we go to watch the Steelers and get really excited about sports, and there's nobody that likes sports in here more than me. And we build our little kingdoms, and we just live life hoping that our 401k will go back up to the amount it was before COVID so that we can retire and play golf five days a week and then die. And here he says, Christians realize, listen to this, this should make us uncomfortable. Those who he's writing, we have like precious faith with us. You see how inclusive yet exclusive he is? You see it? There must be faith and hope in Jesus Christ, but it's available to all men. All men. And then he throws this in that I don't think you should miss. We're all together by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the way, here's a great verse to show somebody that doesn't believe Jesus Christ is God. But, but he throws this in that should make you want to jump out of your seats. And that's this is that when you come into the life of faith that's precious, like the one Peter and Paul and the rest of the early church had, the ones who saw Jesus, recognize that we re, um, uh, he pays for our sins, he does away with our sins, and then we receive his righteousness. So that when we go and die from this life, we're just moving on to the next life, and why would the Lord uh, 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 receive us into his kingdom? Why? Because we have, we're clothed in the robes of his righteousness. You understand? I didn't understand this forever. That's why I'm so passionate about it. I didn't understand this. I just thought Christianity, read the rules, do them, be a good boy. It was so boring. It was such a drag. 
Why do I get passionate on Sunday mornings? Somebody said, you get all excited on Wednesday nights and go too fast. I told them to be quiet. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Why do I get so passionate? Here it is. We've been justified by his blood, Romans 5. He cleanses us from our sins, but he doesn't just cleanse us from our sins. That's fantastic enough. He moves us into a place of righteousness, but it's not our righteousness. It's the Lord's righteousness. For how could we not be forever eternally grateful? And that's what he says. This is the like faith that all of you share here and all of us can have, whether we're white or black or red or yellow or any other color or any other socioeconomic. It makes you come face to face with the fact that you're a sinner and you need his righteousness. If you go and read... It's fascinating, the great white throne judgment at the end of the book of Revelation, which I want none of you to be at. God is so perfectly fair and so perfectly just. You know what he says, even though he knows the answer. He says, okay, let's open up the books. You have decided. He probably doesn't say it like I would, like a smart aleck. He goes, you have decided to live your life according to your righteousness. Okay, we'll judge you according to your righteousness. I'll be fair but you fall short. The Bible says you fall short. There's none righteous, no, not one. The heart is deceptively wicked. So we must count on Jesus Christ to receive his righteousness. And here he says it. It's so fantastic. It's so precious. It's the greatest. It's the best. But here's what he's going to tell you. It's going to cost you everything, your whole life. I don't know how else to say it. There's some people that just want to say, you know, believe. And you, you, you have to believe. But what's packed into the word believe and receive is a lot of stuff. It means this, that you recognize that you're giving up your life for his. Well, look at this. What else can only Jesus give besides righteousness? Check this out. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. There's only one who can give it, and it's Jesus. Righteousness, grace, and peace. Grace and peace for the Christian. You can't come into the Christian life without grace because grace means God's done everything he needs to do. He's pushed everything over into your corner and said, I've done everything I I need to do for you to come back to me. Oh, come on. We need Angie in here. That's amazing. He's done everything in here, everything for you, so that we can come back. That's grace. And then he says, Romans tells us, that that means you can now have peace with me. Peace with God, Romans tells us. Philippians tells us you can have, as a result of grace and peace and the righteousness of Christ, justified by the blood, you now can have the peace of God. Not only do you have peace with God, thank goodness you have peace with God. The enmity between you and him is abolished in Jesus. You now come close by the blood. Doesn't matter what color you are, what economic status. Doesn't matter, you can come close by the blood. We're all the same at the cross. He says, you can have grace and peace. Not only do you, 
not only can you have grace and peace, but for the one who surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ and are counting on him, his finished work at the cross and his resurrection, that's faith, that's what you're doing. For you, you do have grace and peace. And now that you have grace and peace, how would you have grace and peace? Because look, folks, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. New, you've become new. You're raised to new life. You have, and we're going to find out here, you have the very life of Christ pulsing in and out of you. You have the life of Christ. And now he's saying, grace and peace. You have it, he says, but I want it to be multiplied to you. Do you want to grow in the grace and peace of the Lord? Who wants to grow in the grace and peace of the Lord? Yes. There's only one way. And he tells you, well, what do I do? Let me get the seven keys to grace and peace. Nope. He just says it. He puts it right here in the words so you and I, even somebody like me could understand it. So grace and peace, you have it because you have the life of Christ. You have the righteousness of Christ. But I want it to be multiplied, Peter says, to you. How? By knowing God. Not knowing about God, we got plenty of people in the Christian church who knows about God. They can spout off verse and chapter, and you take them out into the world, and they have no common sense, and they're fearful, and they won't do anything. They just know the Bible. That's because they know about God. They know the facts about who Jesus was, and who the Holy Spirit was, and they could debate you on Five points of Calvinism versus Arminianism, and wow, aren't you smart? But there's no sense in which they really or we really know God in those situations. I mean, know Him and know that you're known by Him. That's really important. That there's this place where you've been with Him in communion, and Peter talked about it in the last chapter, he said, one of the ways in which you're going to know me in a real and deep and mysterious way is when you suffer. When you suffer, there will be tribulation in this world. There will be tough times in this world. There will be. But no, at the end of it all, you're coming to know me in a real and deep way. And Paul even said, I just want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings. Man, if I was Paul, I just got to tell you, I might be saying to the Lord stuff like, hey, you know, Lord, I'm probably the greatest church planner in the history of the world, right? You know I'm a great evangelist, right? You know I've laid everything down for you, right? You sure you can't get rid of this thorn in the flesh? He said, no, I'll just trust in your grace, which is sufficient for me, which is what the Lord told him. Paul, as he went out into the desert, had this communion with the Lord. Peter here had this communion with the Lord. His ups and his downs. He failed the Lord humanly. Denied him at the most critical time of the Lord's life. Wouldn't you say, if, if I did that, I, I don't know what would happen. It would fracture us. And yet the Lord restored him. Do you see the back and forth of communion? And you can have it too. The Bible tells us that you are to be in communion in his word through prayer. You take prayer and you keep the word right beside you. And you read the word and you pray with him and you talk with him in the mornings. You walk with him and you talk with him. 
And there's this back and forth, and sometimes you don't get the answer. Like, just like a dad, sometimes you don't give the answer to your kids. You want them to find it out themselves, but you're there for them. You're like, you know, the training wheels. Well, how do I steady myself? I don't know. Let's just do it. And you're, but you're there. You're, you're walking beside them, but you're letting them do it. And the communion back and forth, the kid yells at you. You yell at your kid. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's a joke. It's a joke. But you know what I'm talking about, the loving care. Man, I want you to ride this bike. And so you're there for him and you're, right? That's what communion is. And he says, you get to know the Lord, get to know God, get to know him through his son, Jesus Christ. If you want to have grace and peace exponentially, I think that's right because I'm not very good at math, blow off the charts for you. Know God experience God. Love your God and let him love you. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Here, take this. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Folks, do you remember at the beginning of 1 Peter, it said there's an uh, inheritance that you're going to get that's incorruptible. You see, the inheritance ultimately is you're going to live in heaven by his grace uh, and the riches of his grace. But look at this. I want you to see something. This inheritance, you you know, you know, (laughs) this inheritance has already been given to you if you're a Christian. If you can say to yourself, I've surrendered my life to Christ and counting on all of his finished work, and I know that I'm a Christian. If you ask me if I'm going to heaven, I know. I know I have eternal life, not because of anything I've done, but because everything that he's done. I know I'm a Christian. Then this right here is already your inheritance. He's already given you some of the stuff. And what it is, is he's given you everything right now, everything you have, or everything you need, excuse me, for life. He says it. I don't say it. He says it. You have everything you need for life and godliness. Everything. Right now. Now now think about that. The next time the check doesn't come on time. Or the bills needs paid. Or whatever. Or whatever, all the different circumstances of life. He's saying there's grace and peace that you have that I want it to be multiplied as you uh, commune with the Lord and get to know him in better ways, in deeper ways. His divine power has given to you, all of us, all things, not just some things that pertain to life and godliness. How? It's like he's like going, man, they ain't going to get it. So I'll say it a second time. He says it again, through the knowledge of him. you you looking at me, seriously, some of you are looking at me like, come on, that's pastor speak. I come to church, I give some money. I help old ladies across the street. That ain't it. All of those things are going to flow out of this relationship that you have with God through Jesus Christ. Knowing him, testing him in the right way, not in the bad way. 
sharing your heart with him and having him share his heart with you. He, he gives his secrets to those who fear him, Proverbs tells us. He, ta- he tells us his secrets to those who fear him. We don't understand all of his ways, but what we can handle, he gives to us. Think about it. The God of the universe shares with you his heart, his plans, his goals, everything you need through, from life and godliness. And the question becomes, do, are you on the path of knowing him more and more? That's a real question. Like, like if, um, you know, Brad, Mr. 4 a.m. devotional guy, which is awesome, by the way. If he came to you and said, are you doing devotions? Would you be able to say, yes, every morning, that's the first thing I do. I give my first and my best unto the Lord. Do you do that? And you all are saying, uh, okay, all right, whatever. <laughs> I'm not saying it. Where do you get to know the Lord when it's quiet, when you don't have your silly phone, there's no Netflix on. You're, you're talking, and then as you walk through life, and he reveals things to you, and you obey it, and then, oh, you, you, you just feel the Holy Spirit propelling you along. Or you disobey it, and the Lord chastens you, and you're like, whoa, I was wrong. And you repent, and you move forward, and that's the relationship you have with the Lord. And then you come, and you serve others. Because Jesus says, when you serve others who are oppressed or poor, you're serving even me. I recognize it. I understand it and know it, the Lord says, when you do that. You're serving me when that happens. You're praising him. and He says he inhabits our praises. Do you see this? This is all about knowing him and him knowing you. It's not about a bunch of rules and being good little boys or girls. He says, through the knowledge of him who called us, how did he call you? By glory and virtue. If you're sitting here today and you know you're saved, you've been called and you've responded to that call, I want you to think about something. Do you understand that the Lord called you? Look at this. By his glory, which means his heavy, weighty substance, like the stuff that matters. The Lord called you by that and by his virtue, which means his excellencies, Oh, I thought that would get a bigger response. Because you matter. That's why I'm trying to say. He called you by his glory and virtue. He didn't just call you. He called you by his power and his resource and his beauty and his bigness and his majesty. In everything that he is, he called you glory. And by his excellencies, virtue, he called you and you responded to that call. You see why Peter could say, I'm a bondservant? Willingly do that. Well, he called you by glory and virtue by which you have been given, or by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Follow the flow here. He's telling you what the, the Christian faith is. He tells you, he talks about righteousness that's imputed to you and grace and peace that you have that can be multiplied as you live a life in communion with the Lord. And he says, he doesn't just stop there. He called you up out of the muck and the mire and set, you know, out of the miry clay. He calls you up out of the, the, 
the, the darkness of life. And what he does is he, he sets you with or gives to you or uh, uh, explains to you through his word exceeding great and precious promises so that when you're in persecution, Peter was reminding them in the other chapter, or listen to this, when false teachers come and try to strangle and twist the promises, you'll understand these great and precious promises that are straight and true out of a life that's lived for him. Well, we were giving to us exceedingly great and precious promises. I'm just going to give you one. You could do this a million, you could do this all day. We could stay here till five o'clock. We wouldn't run out of the promises. Let me just give you one or two. How about just turn over to Romans? I hope I'm right here. It's just coming off the top of my head right now. But oh, just read this with me. You all know this. You you know verse 8, Romans 5, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, which is marvelous in itself. He's saying, I moved towards you when you were ugly and an enemy spiritually to me. I moved towards you, and, and we can't even get along on Facebook with people that are different than us. He, he, got a, he got along, or he moved towards the people who rebelled against him. That tells you something. And that's amazing, but look, look at this. Much more than having now, how about this, declared not guilty, justified, declared not guilty, counting you as if you never sinned, that's what justified means, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. So if you're feeling low, gloomy, circumstances of life have got you down, which do, they do, they happen to us, they happen to everybody. Come here and read this stuff. Because see, the greatest and highest thing that can happen for you is that you have a relationship with God and he did it all so that you'd be saved from not just some bad stuff, but from wrath, the wrath of God. That, that's a promise. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Hey, and Paul knew it. He couldn't contain himself, just kind of like I'm doing here. Not that I'm comparing myself to Paul, but it just gets inside you and you can't help it. And he goes, look, he writes it right here. And not only that, he tells you, like I do at uh, 12.15, and I want to go 15 more minutes. And not only that, he says, and not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. I want you to see that's all about coming back so you could know God. Turn with me to Ephesians. I'm just digging these up. The great and precious promises. Here's a great promise, verse 3, chapter 1. Don't ever tire of reading it, please. Don't let this bore you. Let it get in you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who Put your name in there. I'll, who has blessed him, but put your name in there. Mike, Brad, Cindy, who has blessed us 
with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's a promise, folks, in Christ Jesus. Uh, Just as he chose us in him. Oh, thank goodness I'm chosen. Before, oh, when did you choose me, Lord? At the last minute? Was I the last pick? No, I wasn't the last pick before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Oh, thank you, Lord, because without you, I can't be holy. I can't even love. According to, Lord, why are you doing this? According to the good pleasure of his will. That's a promise. He's doing it according to the good pleasure of his will. He's doing everything for you according to the good pleasure of his will. And what did you do for us, Lord? You made us accepted in a beloved family. Oh, Lord, we have redemption through your blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of grace, I read it, which you made to abound to us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of your will. Wow, Lord, you share with us the mystery of your will according to good pleasure. And I could go on and on and on. Think about it. What are some precious promise? You can be justified. You're, you're sanctified. You're be being sanctified. You're glorified, but you're going to be ultimately glorified when you get a glorified, resurrected body. Promises, promises, promises. They're everywhere. And they're precious And they're exceeding everything I could ever even think. And they're great and they're precious. And that through these, listen to this, folks who surrender their life to Christ, follow the flow, surrender their life to Christ like you have done. You've surrendered your life. You've counted on everything from him. You've surrendered to that. And now you abide in that. You abide in him. You, by these great and precious promises, are now partakers of the divine nature. This isn't some conditional thing. This is what has happened to you. You've trusted in this whole gospel. You're counting on the promises and you know them to be true. You have a new nature. And it's, look at this. You're not God's yourself. He's God. But you partake. You're linked to Christ in his death and in his resurrection. Romans 6, go read it. Romans 7, go read it. Romans 8, go read it. And nothing can separate you from his love. That's what we are. We're partakers of the divine nature. This is the gospel. What do you mean? Oh, and we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. We've come up out of the world, the corrupt world, and we've come to a place where he set us up on the rock. We now set our mind on the heavenly things. We're Uh, I read you from Ephesians, we're seated in the heavenlies, positionally. (laughs) We're different people, and yet we do have flesh that wars wars against the Spirit. And so look, the more, keep coming back to this, the more that you really know Him and are known by Him, the less this world has for you and entices you. To the degree that you become to know Jesus is the degree to which your fascination with the world retreats and grows dim. You see it? Man, when I did this, I was like, oh, okay. You mean I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't do this, I can't do that. Oh, I can do that, great. That's how I lived. That's not it. It's a life of communion with the Lord that slowly lets those things get out of there. And the fascination of the world uh, grows dim.
Well, look at this. Also, for this very reason, also for this very reason, I'm so excited to present this to you. He wants to now give all diligence. You understand that the Bible is a mix. He's done it all, grace, but you got to participate. That's your responsibility. You've been saved unto good works, and you are be, you're being sanctified. You're being propelled down the path. Look at this, Romans 8, 29. You're being propelled down the path of Christ-likeness. You're growing in Christ. You're, you have the divine nature in you like a baby. Look, when my kid was born, uh, my first child, daughter, she was... Our, from our nature, from our essence. So she had everything she needed. And she was this little. And what did she need to do? She needed to grow. And that's the image that Peter is giving you right here. You have everything you need, but you got to exercise and eat right and grow so that you can come to full uh, uh, fruition of what I would have for you. And look at this. He says, for this very reason, I want you now, and this should be our prayer, I want you to give all diligence to what I'm about ready to say, Peter says. Give all diligence to it. In other words, he says, everything you can. Clear everything off the decks. Do this. This is the thing you need to do. Not go get more business. Business is good. Uh, Not go watch more Netflix. Uh, Not entertain yourself some more. Everything you have, do this. That's the word. Do this. I want you to give all diligence to add to your faith. We've talked about what your faith is. You have the divine nature in you. You're a baby. You need to grow up. That's what he's saying here. Add to your faith. And this is an unbelievable word. This word add in the Greek, you're going to see it one more time before we leave here today. Add in the Greek is a a word that means to supply, but not just supply, supply lavishly. It spoke of in the Greek times of a person who was doing a chorus, putting on a big chorus, real fancy, in the big fancy halls and all that sort of thing. There would be a person who would take out their wallet and supply what everything, what they needed for the chorus. That's this word. They lavishly supplied the chorus. Why? Don't, what do you have? How, what do you have? Altos, tenors, sopranos, and bass, right? And if they all, right, they want the best environment so when it's uh, a concert night, they all sing beautiful music, what, together, right? Okay, so that's that word. It means supplied, but not just supply, supply lavishly. It was used in that context. Listen to this. Add to your faith virtue. Now, when I read this, see, I'm a competitive guy by nature and all that. Stuff. I'm like, oh, man, I want to be the greatest virtuous guy there is and best knowledgeable guy. See, that's not what he's talking about. It's the blend. It's that abiding in Christ. Watch this. You start to have these things uh, uh, be important to you in your life, and you start to participate in God with them. It's not like, oh, well, okay, I have faith. Now, let's go on to the next one. We'll do that for like six months. See, that's how my mind thinks. And then after I get that one down, we'll move on to the next one. No, he's not saying it like that. He's saying you're going to put this all in, this is all in one pot, and it's brewing. It's all coming together, in other words. You get it? And so one of the things that he talks about is having virtue. What's virtue? I already said it uh, before. It's this 
excellence. It has a tinge in the word of having courage, courageous excellence, virtue. It also means, uh, it can mean the fulfillment of the thing. Like if you had some land and you wanted to be a farmer, you wouldn't sit on your couch and just go, Lord, I pray you put some seed in there, some rain comes down, and that, man, I cannot wait till the middle of July. We're going to have corn on the cob, baby. When is it? July or August? Anyway, what would you do? You would pray to the Lord if you were a farmer. You would go out and sow the seed. You would count on the Lord, and it would come up. But look, 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 look. The word excellent here is the word I'm trying to give the example of land. It's being used excellently and courageously for the thing it was intended to be used for. That's this word. He's saying here, okay, you're a faithful person, but now I want your faith to be dynamic and vibrant and growing and out there, and courageous, and alive, not just a stick-in-the-mud faith. I want your faith to be courageous and active. Make every effort diligent to bring this to pass, that you would step out in something, if the Lord's calling you to it, excellently, with virtue and courage. You get it? That's that word. And he's saying, out of a life that is abiding in Christ, this starts to develop, but you got to uh, 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 participate. What if you started saying things like this? Well, here, here's something I've said in the past. Well, Lord, I know you've called me to a home fellowship here on my street. I, I know you have, Lord, but I don't know anybody. So we're not going to do it. That's not virtue. That's the opposite of virtue. And then when the Lord got my attention, you see, and he does that, and we just started to step out in faith. The Lord just started to do the corn popping up. <laughs> he was the one. Okay, that's virtue. Well, but Peter wants you to, he, he knows, you can't just be the guy who's charging ahead all the time. So uh, add to virtue knowledge. Knowledge. What's, what's knowledge? It's not just knowing about something or knowing the facts. This is what I was talking about earlier. He wants you to add the knowledge that is knowing something intimately. So uh, this speaks of, you know, the ability to handle life successfully. I think it's very close with rightly dividing the word. If you rightly divide the word, you know how to respond in the spirit by his word as a child of God to life. I mean, God doesn't put in his word here, guy in the next cubicle bugs the crap out of me. What do I do? He doesn't give you the answer. He, he doesn't give you the answer. He gives you the principles, and you're to press into him. Here, it's the way in which to respond intelligently, understand the circumstances, and not just always charge ahead like a bull in a china shop. He's tempered. He's put these words together here on purpose because Peter knew what it was like to do that. He was zealous, but his zealousness got out of control sometimes, right? Here he's saying there's a great balance. Oh, self-control or temperance. The, the ability to have a grip on oneself. Man, I've been struggling with that over the last th couple years of my life. And when I got back from uh, my vacation and stepped on the scales, I really knew I had uh, done away with self-control. 
So over the last uh, few weeks, I've been self-controlling in that area. And I got to tell you, people, sometime about 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock at night, whoo, man, it is difficult, right? I just want to go to Al's like, you know, some of you, your families do every night, and I want to do that, and yet the scales tell me differently, or whatever. I'm picking that one, but there's lots of them. It could be uh, lewdness. It could be gossip. It could be, it could be a million things, right? And he's saying self-control, that is a, a abiding person, uh, a person who's abiding is un, uh, under self-control, and yet you got to participate. you got to make the right choices. Let me say that again. He gives us the ability to make the choices in all of those different areas. Okay, what about perseverance? Perseverance, just think about Jesus marching to the cross. I uh, said the verse a little earlier, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That's this word. It's not just, you know, waiting and sitting on the couch and watching, you know, MTV reruns. It's patiently enduring in uncomfortable and difficult circumstances patiently enduring. That's this word. And he says, I want you to do that in the realm of an abiding life. So have somebody criticize you this week and see how you respond. Have somebody criticize you on Facebook or have somebody criticize you in front of others and then see how you respond. Okay, keep going. Godliness. Godliness. This is that life that is so consumed with what God wants for my life that we live above the attractions of the world or the toys of the world. We're not, uh, we're, I mean, we can participate and laugh and have fun, but godliness is that living above that because our life is consumed with God and knowing him and his holiness. You see that? It's the trivialities of life or the novelties of life just kind of, Go away. I mean, I, I used to be able, I told you this, name all the Super Bowl winners and all the scores and the dates that they happened and where I was and who won the MVP and how many Brett passes Brett Favre threw. I, I knew all that stuff. I could tell it everything to you. I'd never miss wood, hay, and stubble. How about brotherly kindness? Brotherly kindness. He says, add brotherly kindness. That's that place where we have... Uh, 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 love for one another for the people in the church. Now you say, well, oh yeah, everybody has that. Really? Really? Yeah, wait till somebody sits in your seat. We'll see how much you love them. (laughs) Have somebody take somebody's donut, you know, that has coconut on it. We'll see how much you love them. Oh, you didn't save the donuts for me? Or, Or whatever, right? How come she got on that committee and I didn't? How come he got promoted to elder and I didn't? This is brotherly kindness, a love for the brothers and the sisters. You have brotherly kindness when you know and recognize that personal relationships aren't a nuisance anymore. Whew, that's convicting me. Brotherly kindness. And then he says, I'm convinced, he ties it all together with agape love. You'll love like I love. Like the enemies out there, folks, who don't even pay attention to me or don't even want to hear, love. That's the love of God. 
The ones who upset you and don't think like you do and are in a different political party and say things you wouldn't say. Love. Oh, you can tell them truth. Sure, you can tell them truth. You don't have to kill them with it. Love them with it. You're not winning the argument. You're winning the soul, Ravi Zacharias would say. So that's that. And he says, you need to participate and I need to participate. For if these things, verse 8, are yours and abound, you will be neither barren. You see, you could be a Christian or fool yourself into thinking you're a Christian and you look around 10 years from now and there's no fruit. Where's the fruit? I'm not growing. I don't even care about the things of God. I just said something on the back of a card or the back of a magazine. Here he says, watch it. If these things aren't growing in your life and being multiplied and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful uh, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren. But if you, they don't abound, that's the point, you will be barren and you will be unfruitful. And you won't, it's a sign that you don't know the Lord. <laughs> See, this is the thing. I just want you to know this. There's a big difference between a knowing about the Lord, attending 85 Bible studies a week, uh, making sure people see you at the Bible studies, expressing your opinions at the Bible studies. There's a big difference between that and really knowing the Lord, really knowing the Lord, his kindness and his love towards you, and obeying him in the ways that he's calling you to obey, which is in all ways. You could be barren or unfruitful, but if you know him, there's the third time, you won't be barren or unfruitful, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted. Now listen, the Bible tells us for those who are outside of Christ, they're blind. But for those who come into the family of God, they receive their sight spiritually. You get that, right? But this is something else. This is for people who are in the faith but can't see in the long term. They have no idea. They're always squinting for, at life. Oh, I'm going to wreck you on this. Wreck me. What is all this COVID about? What are all these riots about? How about let's open our eyes and hear what the Bible says. The Bible says we live in a fallen world with sickness and disease. And the Bible says we're all sinners. And so when we watch shows that only say sin, that, that show non-believers on their uh, news, guess what you're going to see there? Sinful people doing sinful things, just like I'm a sinner saved by grace. Why would it surprise us? We're short-sighted. We don't know how to rightly divide the word. We have the answers. It should be just answer him. He calls us to love people, which means we build relationships with people. So if you're building relationships with everybody that looks like you, <laughs> amen. So here, He says there, 
They're short-sighted. And we can be short-sighted in a lot of things. Remember, Lord, help me to remember that we are going to heaven and will be with you for eternity. Oh, Lord, come quickly. You see, that's not short-sighted. That's your eyes are open and you're looking down the path of eternity as far as you can see, as you can see. But we know because of the promises. That's not being short-sighted. Well, what else? Even to blindness. And what do people forget? They've forgotten about what's coming up, and they also have forgotten about what was behind, that they've been forgiven from their old sins. They've been cleansed. See, people get into this life, and they get into the committees, and they get into the money raising, and they get into the programs, and they get into the rock walls, and they get into the smoke and the stuff, and the pastor with the $7,000 shoes and the whole shooting match, and they forget that we've been saved from our sins. And that is our greatest and chief need. And that's where we live and grow from, out of there. And he opens our eyes so that we can see things in the world. We don't have a faith or a knowledge that's just book knowledge. No, we've been interacting with the Lord who gives us these answers. Okay, hold on now. Here it comes. Therefore, brothers or brethren, be even more diligent. Uh Uh-oh. I want you to be diligent. I want you to lavishly supply as best as you can, cooperate with the Lord. I want you to, uh, in an abiding life, develop, have, have the Lord develop in you virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. But now I want you to even be more diligent about what I'm about ready to tell you, Peter says, and many of us in the church need to hear it. We have to hear it. We have to hear it, but sometimes we won't hear it. And that's this, to make your call and election sure, are you sure you're in the family of God? He's saying, Because if you do these things, you're not going to get ever tripped up. If this is what's happening in your life, not perfectly, oh no, not perfectly, but it's growing and building fruit and not, or, uh, you know, fruitful uh, life and you're responding in virtue and knowledge and etc., etc. Listen, you must make your calling and election sure. And it's If you see these things in your life, guess what you uh, uh, do like the farmer does? You start jumping up and down and praising the Lord because although you planted, he did the growth. (laughs) It's so beautiful. You, You know that God is active and alive in your life. That's what he's trying to tell you. When you see these things start to sprout up, you know you're a new creation. How do I know if I'm saved? The sheep hear his voice and follow me. Jesus said, and that's one way. Guess what's another way? It's a life that looks like this increasingly more and more. It's this. And you've got to be honest with yourself. Is this happening? What happens for the Christian at the end? Here it comes. You're never going to stumble. These things You're going to know that you're calling an election and sure, for so, here it comes, verse 11, then I'll close. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Yeah, but catch this. I want you to see this. Entrance is the word for that final finishing lap at the Greek Olympics. You're coming in, you know, you've spent it all. You're coming in and that, look, look at this. You've spent it all. You're coming to that entrance, but now I get to tell you the best thing I've been holding for last. 
That word supplied there, for, an en- for so an entrance will be supplied. Remember that word add that I pulled out my pocket and said lavishly su- supplied? It's the same exact word. Which means... If you lavishly pour in, sow to the spiritual, and cooperate with God. Look, 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 look at this. If you lavishly do this, the entrance that you will have into heaven will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The picture here is if you participate with God lavishly, when you reach heaven, he's going to pour it all out lavishly for you. (laughs) There's another verse in the Bible that says people can just, 1 Corinthians 3.15, you could go read this afterwards, that people could just show up there as by fire, like by the skin of their teeth kind of thing. I don't know all of it theologically, but I know this. If you will pour in to the things of God now, when you show up at the pearly gates, there are, you know know what I'm talking about. When you get to heaven with the Lord, when you get to heaven, it's the picture of your winning the Olympics. You're, You're not, I want you to see something. You're not going away. You're entering somewhere. You're going home. You're going home. Here's just a couple notes. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this about this verse. See, to the Christian, we die gloriously and triumphantly. Because death to us is an open door and an entrance. We've come to know Christ better And so we know where we're going. So listen to the implications. We'll never feel lonely when we're dying. Because Christ is with you. And he's right there on the other side. We don't have to feel like a stranger to where we're going. You know all of the scriptures. Paul knew it. He said, to be with Christ is better To be with Christ is better. But I know now I have work to do. And I'm not going to labor in vain. My work here is important. And of course, your work here is important. But what this verse is telling you is that as you come to know and know the Lord better and more intimately, you're going to understand that death isn't something to be scared of. Oh yeah, who wants to fall out of a plane? No one wants to do that. But the end of the thing, when you go and where you go next, you're just going, you're entering in for eternity. Is that beautiful or what? Now, folks, what I'm trying to do here and what the writers are trying to do here is we want you to take this in and meditate on it because what's coming now in the rest of the book is some warnings about how we can get mixed up in some things that will be harmful to us But God, first off, wants to know and share with you how glorious his plan is for all of our lives. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do. We come here and we...
Thank you, Lord, for this amazing word. Lord, help us to be focused on you as a love response to everything you've done for us. Give us the grace even to worship you. Give us the grace to be zealous for you. Give us the grace to lavishly add to the, uh, uh, these things, uh, virtue and knowledge and godliness, etc. Help us, Lord, live these things out as we become more Christ-like and then turn around and give you all the glory. And Lord, help those who are scared of dying. Help us, Lord, to understand and know really down in our bones, down in our soul, that you're right there. When we die, we'll be with you. What an amazing truth and promise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.